Hey, welcome to the cantina. You're just in time for happy hour. It's the time of year when the days are getting shorter than my sobriety. I'm not sure if it's the lengthening shadows or my shortening patience, but I've recently rediscovered and rekindled my love of mysteries with no satisfying ending. Today, we're taking a deep dive, literally into the Bay of Jars. Pour yourself a drink and let's jump into it. Let's go to Brazil. Did anyone else watch the Indiana Jones trilogy? And I say trilogy because I refuse to acknowledge the fever dream and straight up car wreck that was the fourth one and think that's the life for me. Well, I'm guessing Robert Marks did. Robert Marks is a U.S. Marine archaeologist who went on over 500 dives and is one of the pioneers of underwater archaeology, which truthfully I didn't know was a thing and now that I'm aware of it, need to seriously reevaluate my choices. This is a story of his experience in Brazil. In 1984, the Brazilian government passed a ban against underwater exploration. This was a secret, by the way, so how do we know about it? There was a teeny tiny column one year later, published in June 1985. It was a New York Times article written by Marlee Simons. Now help me out here. Why would anyone ban underwater exploration? Well, in 1976, a Brazilian man, who apparently had a heck of a yen for lobsters, was hunting lobsters in Guanabara, Brazil. So he's swimming around, because apparently that's how you do that, and he came across eight ancient-looking jars. He brought the jars to the surface and decided to make a few quick bucks by selling them to tourists. Now, and I'm not sure who was the rat, but someone reported him to local authorities, thinking that the jars looked so ancient they had to be stolen. The official report of events is that he managed to sell all but two of the jars that were on him when he was arrested. These two jars were sent to the University of Brazil to be studied. They were immediately identified as amphoras, which are ancient Roman vases used for transport. Kind of like ancient storage containers, or those giant Tupperwares you use to keep all your chunky Christmas sweaters you can't quite bring yourself to wear because they're itchy and way too hot, but you can't really bring yourself to get rid of them either. I recently, sidebar, I recently went through my closet and got rid of anything I haven't worn in the last two years. Typically, I keep this to the last year, but with the world such as it is, I've been pretty much exclusively living in a steady rotation of pajamas, clothes that I don't deem pretty enough to leave the house in, and a selection of maxi dresses that look like I'm about to tell your fortune for a 20. It did feel amazing though, donating these things to the local charity shop, because if I'm really honest with myself, I'm not fitting in those pants again unless I somehow find a way to get my hands on a tapeworm. Back to the story. So we have these jars that have been found in Brazil that have been identified as ancient Roman jars. And if you're wondering what's the big whoop-de-doo, let's take a look at the timeline for just a minute and this part is important. So take a swig and put your drink down because I had to read this part several times. 
Let's start with what BCE AD all means. BC means before Christ, the year zero. Merry Christmas. BCE stands for before common era. Same thing, you can say either BC or BCE. AD is Latin for Anno Domini, or in the year of our Lord. Or you can use CE, which is common era. So AD or CE is the same thing. So before the year zero, we have BC or BCE. After Jesus was born, we have AD or CE. Okay, we're on the same page. Now, the Roman Empire was the Roman Empire from 27 BC or BCE to 476 AD or CE. Europeans didn't come to the New World until 1492 AD or CE. Keep that in mind. So we have 1976, a Brazilian guy is in the mood for lobster, no red lobster to be found. Let's be real, we just want the biscuits. He finds these jars, takes them to the University of Brazil. They're identified as Roman. Then 1984, the Brazilian government bans underwater exploration. So now we've come up to 1992, and Robert Marx hears of this discovery and decides to set off for Guanabara, Brazil. Why was Marx so hot and bothered about this? Well, he'd been interested in finding, maybe not necessarily proving, but finding evidence that there were Romans and indeed other cultures throughout Europe who visited the New World before everyone thought. And why would this be such a massive deal anyways? Well, if these ancient jars really are ancient Roman jars, that would mean that the Romans were in Brazil, in the New World, thousands of years before history said that happened. That would mean that history is not what we thought. This is pretty major. So Marx decides to go to investigate for himself. And in his dive, he finds over 200 more ancient Roman jars. He sends them to Dr. Elizabeth Will, a classics professor and expert in Roman amphoras at the University of Massachusetts. She identifies these jars as 3rd century Roman. That's 200 to 300 BCE or BC. Then fragments of those same jars were sent to London for thermoluminescence testing determining them to be even older than initially thought. That is to say, 19th century BCE. Damn. Excited by this, Marx decides to go back again to Wanabara to dive again to see what else he can find. And what he finds are the remains of the hull of a ship. So this has now exploded on the news, and Marx heads back to the U.S. to prepare for excavation. He gets it all set up, this is all anyone can talk about, and when he gets back for this excavation, because he thinks, oh my gosh, I found this Roman ship, he finds the entire area completely covered over and buried in sand. Yeah. How's that for taking the wind right out of your sails? But why? 
Why would anyone hide this? What has anyone have to gain by hiding this? Well, it turns out a lot of people. Pause for dramatic effect. The government, church, and public opinion of Brazil were against this and all completely furious at the insinuation that Brazil was not discovered by Pedro Alvarez Cabral. The church declared it heresy that pagans had discovered Brazil, not the Catholic saint. Let's add to this, there were lots of Italian immigrants in Brazil at the time, and currently, while this news was unfolding. Now, if Romans had discovered Brazil, and not the Portuguese explorer everyone thought, then according to them, that would make Brazil Italian. The Italian government even released a statement that as Brazil had been discovered by Romans, therefore Italians, all Italians in Brazil should be granted immediate citizenship. Now, the Brazilian government wouldn't have it. Protests and demonstrations ensued, essentially because it was a matter of rewriting history. So, what happened? Because the history books haven't changed, have they? Robert Marx was <clears throat> advised to leave Brazil and leave it be. I warned you this story had no ending, right? But let's take a look at the logistics of this. It's ridiculously far to travel from the Roman Empire all the way to Brazil, right? No way they could have gotten that far. Well, picture a world map or Google one. Or, if you have a world map placemat, say that three times, Roman ships could carry 1,200 tons of cargo. And by the way, that's way bigger than Columbus's ships. Roman ships would regularly sail from North Africa to India. That's 5,600 kilometers, or 3,500 miles. They did this all the time. It's very well documented. Now, from the southmost port of the Roman Empire to Guanabara, Brazil, it's 6,900 kilometers or 4,300 miles. It's not that much of a jump from what they regularly did. It's not that much farther. That's not so crazy if you take a look at it on a map. And that's just one example of the discovery of the Americas. Mind you, that means being discovered by someone in Europe. Everyone in the Americas already knew they were there. It's like someone breaking into your backyard and celebrating that you've just been discovered. So while this story has no official ending, there are so many other examples of history maybe not being as ironclad as we once thought. Think of it like a game of broken telephone. Who knows what we'll find next? It's time for What's in Your Glass. And today, we're making a tipsy sunset. Nothing quite says, let's have a great time, like tequila. So today, we're going to be making a classic, but a goodie. What you want to make sure that you have on hand is excellent quality tequila. I really can't stress this enough. You can do a Don Julio, you can do a Los Arango, a La Gran. Spend the extra money because I promise you it makes all the difference in the world. This isn't like buying cheap socks. 
If you cheap out on the tequila, I promise you're gonna taste it. So you've got your great tequila. It's the one bougie thing I just really insist on. You have your tequila, you have your amaretto. I recommend Disarono, but if you have another one you love, that's great too. You're also gonna need some pineapple juice. And while you've got the fresh pineapple, juice some of it. If you don't have any fresh on hand, canned will do. What I recommend to make it a little extra sweet, give it a little slice, just right down the middle, and pop it in the oven. It sounds counterintuitive, but putting it on broil with maybe a little cinnamon and brown sugar, it's really gonna caramelize it, take it to a whole other place. It's a great little tip to fake something out of a can to give it a little ooh la la. Give your pineapple a tan. And if you've been listening along with us, I recommend vanilla simple syrup, about a tablespoon. Now this is a pretty forgiving recipe because really it's made to your own taste. The way I like to make mine I have right here is one shot of tequila, then I have half a shot of amaretto. I was lucky enough that pineapple was on sale so I grabbed one of those. I juiced about half of it, which was way too much, but let's be real, we're gonna finish that with these cocktails. And I had some vanilla simple syrup in the fridge. What I like to do, depending on how strong you like your drinks, I like mine strong, not everyone does so much, which is fine. If you have your shaker and ice, throw in your tequila, throw in your amaretto. Then add up just under a cup of your pineapple juice and your vanilla simple syrup. Give it a shake and give it a taste. I have lots of friends who don't like their drinks as strong as I do and some that like them even stronger. You can go adding. It's not plutonium, it's not going to explode. If you don't have any simple syrup on hand or just don't feel like making it, my secret recipe bartending has always been vanilla vodka. It is such an excellent get out of jail free card. What you can do, and this is a fun twist, if you don't have any tequila on hand, but you do have amaretto and vanilla vodka, you can do half a shot of amaretto, a full shot of vanilla vodka, and pineapple juice. This is such an easy cocktail because again, it's one of those ones that you really want it to have that beautiful taste. It's beautiful for a pre-dinner cocktail or a Wednesday. Really, you can't go wrong with this one. This is also a fantastic one to make by the pitcher. These holidays are gonna be different, but one thing that will not change around here is happy hour. And if it's Christmas, let's just call it happy week. <laughs> so there you go, a tipsy sunset. I am going to be posting the recipe on our Instagram, which is Detox on the Rocks podcast. If you're looking for garnish ideas, oh, another one that I want to add as well. If you want to give your drink a little ooh la la, I do recommend rimming the glass. It seems like, how would you do that? How do you get the salt or sugar to stick? It's really just water. Take your glass and what you want to do is the, the mouth of the glass or where it opens, where you drink from, get that wet. If you're in a bar, you'll see a little kind of circular guy with a sponge. If you don't have one at home, which most of us don't, I do, but <laughs> occupational hazard, literally just take a, a little plate with water, 
dip the mouth of it in water and then in another plate beside it mix brown sugar is really nice it plays really well with pineapple or tequila or you can use white sugar another really nice one too maybe not with this so much but you can have fun is finely ground coconut that way when you look at the glass you've got this really fancy rim it elevates it to a whole other place what modifications did you make? Let us know on our Instagram or shoot us an email at detoxwithvoss at gmail.com. Salut! This episode has been brought to you by Hitting Rock Bottom. You're allowed. Sit in it. Wallow in it. Cry into a bowl of popcorn. Mix your cereal with ice cream. Then pick yourself up and move on. A heartbeat monitor has highs and lows, peaks and valleys. No ups or downs means you're flatlining. You need friction to create fire, so embrace it. Rock bottom, because things can always get worse. Well, that's the end of my drink and the end of the show. And as the days get shorter and the nights get longer, remember, spiderwebs were once used as bandages in ancient times in Rome and Greece. Their webs have natural antiseptic and antifungal properties. <laughs> Salut! This has been a Cat Flap production in association with Not For Sale Media.